0: Going through poetry, especially with you know ninth graders, like you just tell them like, don't you feel this? And they're like, yeah. Let me tell you all about how I feel. Um, and so we would go through poetry. We would look at different elements, um, which, as you know, most of Western poetry, a lot of the elements include rhyme. It includes rhythm, which are almost harder to spell than they are to find the actual elements in poetry. Um, but one of the things that I especially loved about the poetry unit is the final project. I would have the students pick about four songs um, and I would ask them to analyze it the way they would a poem and then they would present one. And as an example, because it was a public school, I would always sneak in this song by a Christian artist, Chris Rice, and it's called Life Means So Much. I don't know if I've shared this with you ladies before because I really do enjoy um, his writing. I came to find out later he's an English teacher and I was like, ah, oh, no wonder. Um, so I'm gonna read through his song called Life Means So Much. He writes, or sings, every day is a journal page. Every man holds a quill and ink. And there's plenty of room for writing in all we do, believe, and think. So will you compose a curse or will today bring the blessings? Fill the page with rhyming verse or some random sketching. And the chorus says, teach us to count the days. Teach us to make the days count. Lead us in better ways. Somehow our souls forgot life means so much. Life means so much. Life means so much. Every day is a bank account and time is our currency. So no one's rich, nobody's poor. We get 24 hours each. So how are you gonna spend? Will you invest or squander? Try to get ahead or help someone who's under. Teach us to count the days. Teach us to make the days count. Lead us in better ways. Somehow our souls forgot. Life means so much. Life means so much. Life means so much. Has anybody lived who knew the value of a life? And don't you think giving is all that will prove the worth of yours and mine? Teach us to count the days. Teach us to make the days count. Lead us in better ways. Somehow our souls forgot life means so much. Every day is a gift you've been given. Make the most of the time every minute you're living. Every day is a gift you've been given. Make the most of the time, every minute you're living. So I love how songs combine so many elements of Western poetry, like rhyming and rhythm, as well as some elements more common in poetry from other cultures. Specifically when speaking of, of Hebrew poetry, um, when someone would sit down to write poems, they wouldn't like start, you know, all these rhyming words. Instead, they would do a lot of contrasting of ideas, so rather than rhyming with words, they would sort of rhyme with ideas and and show opposite, show contrast. Another thing that would often be used in Hebrew poetry is repetition, so this idea of saying the same stanza over and over, the same chorus over and over, is very similar to the way just poetry worked in general in Hebrew cultures. And opposites are a funny thing, aren't they? As a matter of fact, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through the 18 chapters, Lord willing, and we're going to see the contrast that each one shows, the difference, the choice that we have between living for the spirit or, better said, versus living for the flesh. So, if you want to take a jog down memory lane with me and pretend you're in my English class, the way I would suggest to set up our notes would be in three columns. So you would have Psalm as column one. You could already number that one through 18. Then your second column will be Spirit. And then the third column, Flesh. So we'll go through each Psalm, one through 18. Then we're going to see in each one the decision we can make for the Spirit, versus the flesh. Because that is the greatest contrast the life of any believer will experience. The stark difference between the spirit and the flesh. You see, ladies, we have an opportunity in every decision we make to feed one or feed the other. Our spirit or the flesh Now, I I did wanna make a side note that there's so many things in these 18 Psalms. I'm sure as you were going through the questions and in your personal study, and even in your small groups, right? there wasn't enough time to really unpack everything that was in these Psalms. My prayer is that the Lord would reveal to you more abundantly the riches found in his word. How the Psalms point to Christ the rich metaphors comparing the fullness that we have of this life in Christ to things like trees and sheep, the beautiful language that conveys these deep sighs of the human heart and mind, but we just don't have enough time to cover all those things. And by all means, if the Lord points something out and you want to um, geek out with me, my my nerd heart would super love to have any of those conversations afterwards. Or again, there's just so much in any of, in every and any of these psalms that we can impact. But just for our time today, we're going to look specifically at contrast. I was reminded of our retreat last year, the How Much More. Right, And every time we go through God's word, maybe it's a very familiar chapter, or for the first time, there's always so much more waiting for us as we dig deeper. So let's dive into chapter one of the Psalms. The contrast that we're going to see there is fruitfulness versus fruitlessness. So we can either be fruitful if we're living according to the Spirit, or we'll be fruitless I see that especially in verse 2. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. We can jump down to verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And again, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And again, in that psalm, we see how that tree bears its fruit Right in its season. Ladies, one way that we can sort of check our hearts to see whether we're living according to the spirit or according to the flesh is is there any fruit? And maybe, you know, this is a concept that's kind of new or or we haven't gone over it in a while. And I think the biggest checklist for fruit is found in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Ask yourself, am I really exhibiting these fruit? Am I expressing love? Do I have peace and joy in the midst of this chaos? Or... Is there fruit missing in my life? Because chances are there's some decisions along the way that are feeding more our flesh than our spirit if we see the lack of fruit in our lives. Now we're going to go into chapter two to look at the next contrast or difference. Here we see redemption versus rage. So if we're living according to the spirit, we'll see the evidence of redemption Otherwise, we're going to see evidence of rage. Psalm 2 verse 1 begins with, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Jumping down to verse 8, ask of me and I will give to you, speaking to Jesus, the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Verse 11, we're commanded, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with fear trembling. Ladies, our Jesus is in the business of redemption. And if you're living according to the spirit, even those moments where maybe we mess up, or our failures get the best of us, our weaknesses. We rely more on our insecurities than on what we should be doing. Maybe we regret not telling, you know, that server about the Lord or, you know, explaining to that cashier, hey, can I pray something for you today? Maybe, you know, maybe there's just some of that regret. Well, remember that there's redemption, that the Lord wants to take those situations and teach us something from them, that we would rely more on his spirit. And not to be filled with rage. You know, it's easy if if you go on social media or if you turn on the news, right, to be filled with rage at everything that's going on, all the confusion. But ladies, our Lord is going to redeem this earth. He's coming soon. And so we don't have to be, you know, filled with rage. We could remember that he is a God who redeems. Looking now at chapter 3 we're going to live according to the spirit, we'll see triumph. Otherwise, our flesh is just going to leave us troubled. So that's the contrast we could look at in chapter three, triumph versus troubled. Verses two through three in Psalm three say, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, the glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Again, I love how it says, but you, O Lord. It reminded me of uh, the seminar we did before last year where it was the but God that we see throughout scripture, right? Here are all these enemies of the psalmist thing. You're beyond help. Like not even God can reach you in your state. Ha ha, making fun of of the situation and the circumstances. But the psalmist knew that the Lord was his shield, his glory, the one who lifts up his head. In the midst of these troubles and trials, we can see triumph. Verse 8 reminds us salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. So we don't have to doubt. Maybe it's a season where you're wondering, like, God, where are the blessings? Be grateful. Start singing to the Lord. Rejoice in his salvation. And you'll notice more the blessings that he has upon your life. Chapter 4, we see another contrast. Our choice will be sacrifice of righteousness. Sacrifice of righteousness versus seeping in anger. That word seeping, I always think of tea, right? I don't know um, how many of you enjoy drinking tea um, or don't enjoy drinking tea, but if you don't leave um, the tea bag in there long enough, it's not really doing anything. Um, And how you just need to let it seep so that all the flavors can get out, especially if it's a good chai, you want all those spices and aromatics to fill your, your mug and to warm you from the inside out. So we can either seep in anger or we can have sacrifice of righteousness in our life. And sometimes the very thing we have to sacrifice is the right to act out in our anger. Maybe you have every right to be angry at a situation. But that psalm reminds us, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Be angry and do not sin. We can also pick up in verse 3. It says, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. And verse 5 tells us what we should be doing as we meditate. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Sometimes we get angry because our trust wasn't in the Lord. Maybe our trust was in a friend or in a boss that promised us a promotion or an easier schedule. Maybe our confidence was was in the fact that our children were going to do what we asked them to do for the 100th time. But wherever our confidence is, if it's not in the Lord, you're going to find yourself an angry woman. But we cannot seep in that anger. We need to redirect our trust to the Lord. And offer to him the sacrifice of righteousness. Lord, this is very upsetting, but I will trust you. I will trust in you to work in me and to hopefully work in that individual that's making me so upset right now. Verse, um, I'm sorry, chapter five favor versus falsehood. Favor versus falsehood. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're gonna sense the favor of the Lord upon your life. Otherwise, you'll be led astray by every form of falsehood that comes your way. Verse six says, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty and deceitful man. We can jump down to verses 10 through 12. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But, again the contrast, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with faith favor, you will surround him as with a shield. One of those things that I always remember from the book, The Calvary Road, is the fact that if we're busy defending ourselves, we're not allowing the best attorney to state our defense. We actually get in the way of what the Lord is wanting to do in and through that situation where maybe we feel mistreated or maybe we 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 just don't see why this reaction happened this certain way rather than jumping to defend ourselves we need to trust that god's favor will be our shield and trust him to be your advocate in verse 6 the contrast or difference or opposites that we can see are saved versus shamed where do we allow our thoughts to meditate The fact that we're saved? Or are we allowing the enemy to constantly bring about shame in our lives? Verse 4 of Psalm 6 says, Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. Jumping down to verse 10, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. The Lord is very clear that shame belongs to the enemies of God, right? And now there are times that the Holy Spirit will convict us and will show us that there is something that is shameful that's happening in our lives. But you know what? That should um, be—my husband Adrian always says that this should be the, the shortest time span that a believer experiences, the time between being convicted and repenting, that we don't need to dwell in that shame we don't need to allow ourselves to be burdened by that guilt. Why? Because he has saved us. And that's what we need to always turn back to. Maybe the enemy is constantly reminding you of your past and saying, you know what, you don't deserve this Christian faith, this, these, this favor that the Lord has given you, this salvation. You know what? He's right. We don't deserve it. That's why the Lord needed to die for us. And we can rest and the fact that he has saved us. Um, As a side note, one of the things that I read in a book by a pastor's wife about any battle within our thoughts, maybe it's anxiety, right, that we get stressed out. We look at at the news and and the the virus numbers and projected election results, and, and it's enough to make anyone get freaked out. Or maybe it's depression. Maybe it's the sadness and feeling like, man, I can't control anything. Whatever it is, condemnation, whenever there's a battle in our mind, um, she encouraged the readers to have a list of people to intercede for. She said, have five or six people that you know need prayer. Maybe it's a missionary. Or maybe it's someone who um, has recently been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe it's someone that you know they're praying for their prodigals. Right, or or, you know, someone to, to come to salvation. You have that list of five to six people that you know need intercession. And whenever the enemy brings the battle to your mind, you take the battle to your knees and you start praying for those other individuals. And you see how the enemy will leave you alone after a while because he sees, wait, this isn't working out. <laughs> this is actually costing me more um, than me trying to mess with her thoughts. So that's just something really sweet that I've, I've held down to as a, a practical tip whenever, whenever that thought life sort of starts to spiral, that we can hold on to the promises of God, we can look to his word, and we can um, act in prayer for others. Chapter 7 of the Psalms, integrity versus iniquity. Integrity versus iniquity. And boy, is that a contrast that we see all around us. Not just the world to the church, but those that are living for righteousness and are not, right? Integrity versus iniquity. Psalm 7 verses 3 to 5, and then we'll we'll jump around in a few other verses there. But it says, O Lord my God, starting in verse 3, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Verse 8, and then we'll jump down also to verse 17. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I love how the psalmist turned that corner. You know, at first he was like, Lord, look at my iniquity. It's, it's blameless. Lord, I've walked in integrity, but yet he turns the corner and says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. Ladies, our righteousness, our integrity was secured for us at the cross. Sanctification is just becoming the person we already are in Christ. He's already secured that for us. We just need to allow his work to be perfected in our hearts. Sing praise to his name. Because of his righteousness. Chapter 8 is a beautiful psalm. And at first I didn't see much contrast. I did see more of the repetition that we see in Hebrew poetry, right? It starts off with uh, the same refrain that it ends with. Verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. And then it speaks of, of Jesus, right? It says, for you have made him, or I'm sorry, it speaks of man. You have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And again of Jesus now, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. And then again in verse nine, it repeats it. O Lord, all Our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And the more I looked at this psalm, the more I realized what the contrast is. His excellent name versus everything else, right? It says he has given him dominion over the works and has put all things under his feet. Ladies, is there anything that you value above his excellent name? Oof, that's a hard one, right? Because at first we want want the answer to be, no, of course not. Like, I treasure his excellent name above everything else. But we got to allow the Lord to really show us if there's anything that we are valuing more than his excellent name. Because if there is, chances are we've been feeding our flesh in some decision more than we've been feeding the spirit. It's his excellent name versus everything else. Chapter 9, the contrast we will see here is refuge versus reproach. Refuge versus reproach. There's so many good verses in this psalm. Um, Only halfway and more than half our time is up, but. The Lord knows. So you can go ahead and if, if you're following along in your Bible, you can circle verses 9 and 10, 16 through 17, and verse 20 to see how the Lord is that refuge for the oppressed, you know. And if not, there will be a reproach. And again, I was so blessed going through these psalms and seeing how often the Lord says that he is the one who's the defender of the weak and of the oppressed and how so many in our culture and in our society are trying to look for refuge in other places and the more i see their message the more they're looking for retribution and revenge more so than than a refuge and so i just pray that the lord will give us that wisdom and would put in our path those um those individuals who've who've been beating up on the road, right, that we would be that good Samaritan, that it happens so often one-on-one, that the Lord will put someone in your path to minister to, to share the love of Christ with, and it's not about, you know, an entire people group, you know, but it's so much more about that individual's need for Christ, to turn to the Lord for refuge and to not um, allow the enemy to bring reproach because of race, because of past sins, because of anything else, because the Lord is our refuge. Chapter 10, um, the contrasts. Okay, so each each element is a little bit long. In the spirit, we will have preparation leading to protection. Preparation leading to protection. In the flesh, Psalm 10 points out that there will be pride, which leads to perishing. So we can either have preparation leading to protection or pride, which leads to perishing. Verse 17 says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble, you will prepare their heart, and you will cause your ear to hear. And I think of that, how the Lord prepares not only our ways, but our hearts. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, that maybe you were about to face a tough time, and then you look back and you're like, hmm, there was a teaching on Sunday, and there was this verse in my Devo, and there was this God's Way radio friends and family spot that I heard last week, and it was preparing your heart for that difficult time. Also in chapter 10, you can circle verse 4 or jot it down. And verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. To me, the saddest thing is that they didn't have to perish. I always hold on to that promise, right, in, in John three sixteen, That God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish. But have everlasting life. There's another contrast that we see there in Scripture. Okay, chapter 11 virtue versus violence. Virtue versus violence. And really, it's the whole Psalm. Like, all the verses are so great. Virtue versus violence. The psalmist um, brings up the fact that the Lord is in his holy temple, he's enthroned, his eyes see, he tests the hearts of men, he tests the righteous. And the wicked and the one who loves violence, the Lord hates. Virtue versus violence. Chapter 12, we have pure words, pure words versus prattling. And prattling, all it is is idle talk. Blah, 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 right? So we can either have pure words or prattling. Verses 2 and 6 say, They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. Verse 6 shows us the contrast that the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So, do our words look more like the world's, or are they pure words? Because again, what are we feeding, our spirit or our flesh? And That was for chapter 12. Moving on to chapter 13, we can either experience the bountiful blessings of the Lord or we'll get caught up in the blame game, blaming others. Oh, Psalm 13, one and two says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist is struggling. David is saying, Lord, this is your fault. This is my enemy's fault. This is the fault of the own advice that I give myself. He was caught up in that blaming game. But later he says in verse six, six, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt, dealt bountifully with me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think much changed in the course as he was writing that psalm. It wasn't like, you know, all of a sudden, oh, all my problems are fixed by the time I got to verse five. I think what happened is that he recognized, Lord, who am I kidding? Why am I complaining? Why am I blaming others? You have given me bountiful blessings. So often it's a matter of perspective that needs to change, more so than circumstances. Chapter 14, consecration versus corruption. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt. And that word corrupt gets repeated in that psalm. And then in verse 7, the psalmist says, Oh, that salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And we know that Zion is God's chosen people. They have been consecrated to himself. Are the things in your life filled with consecration? I'm going to dedicate Sundays to the Lord. I'm going to dedicate, you know, this time of of maybe my family meal or, you know, my hobbies, are they consecrated as unto the Lord or is there a lot of corruption therein? Chapter 15, we can either spend time abiding or always trying to take the advantage. Time abiding or always trying to take the advantage. I'm going to jump down to verse five. It says, "He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent." In other words, he's not taking advantage of others. He who does these things shall never be moved." And I loved how that psalm ends. It reminds me of Second Peter chapter one, verse 10, where we have a promise that if you do these things, you will never stumble. I was so stirred in, in looking at the psalm. Lord, you give us promises in your word, and we even sang about it in, um, in Jude, that promise that he's able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to keep us from being shaken. He's able to keep us from being moved. He's able to keep us from falling, right? From stumbling, all these things. But it takes work. It's going to take feeding our spirit, ladies, and we can do it. He enables us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Chapter 16, our sufficiency will be in Christ. Sufficiency in Christ versus sorrow upon sorrow. Sufficiency will be in Christ or there will be sorrow upon sorrow. Okay, I'm going to give you the last three, well, the last two, and then, um, and then we'll wrap it up and we'll pray. But again, there's so many good verses in these psalms. Chapter 17, we will either be covered or we'll be closed off. So chapter 16 was sufficiency in Christ versus sorrow upon sorrow. Chapter 17 is covered versus closed off. And finally, chapter 18, we will either be humble or haughty. Not haughty like, ooh, look at you, you're so cute, but like haughty like full of pride. <laughs> Just want to make that difference because, you know, homophones. Um. <laughs> okay. Some might think, hi, Alicia. This is too tough to live like this with choices being so... So extreme, right or wrong, good or evil. Like, is it really that big of a difference? But think of how freeing if we would take every worry, every thought, every feeling, every social media post we're thinking of posting, every word, every action, every food choice, our parenting styles, our studies, our work issues, our entertainment options, and we would just surrender it to the Lord, right? We don't have to worry about consequences. We don't have to worry about hiding it from anyone. Think of how freeing that is. Lord, what do you want me to do? He's promising us a blessing. He's promising us his covering. He's promising us himself. It brings me back to uh, the Chris Rice song, life means so much, it's actually based in one of the Psalms, Psalm 90 verse 12, which says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And ladies, as we're getting closer to his return, the biggest difference or contrast that we really need to choose between is are we numbering our days or are we numbing them? Are we so hurt or so confused or so scared that we would rather numb them with feeding the flesh? Or are we going to say yes to our spirit, realizing how few days we have left? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. I'm so thankful for each and every one of the ladies here, God, that they came to seek you to be refreshed by you, to be encouraged and filled by you. Look how we thank you that you haven't left us alone to figure out this spiritual walk on our own. But God, you promised to guide us, to counsel us, to fill us, to be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to you. Lord, you know each of my sisters' heart. You know their struggles. Lord, you know the areas where where they're victorious, where they're feeding their spirits. And Lord, you also know those areas where, where we're weak and we've given way so much to the flesh that maybe it feels like we could never get it back. But Lord, we thank you that you died on the cross for that and that your sacrifice is sufficient and that there's nothing that your blood, Lord, can't cover, can't redeem, can't change. Lord, would you help us surrender Would you help us to see the glory that awaits in offering you the sacrifice of righteousness, God? Lord, I don't know if it's an insecurity or a doubt, a fear, a secret sin. Lord, I don't know what's going on, but you know. Would you gently and firmly and clearly show us, God, how we need to number our days instead of numbing them? Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you so much for the Psalms. God, help us to grow and to draw closer to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Ladies, you are loved, first and foremost, by the Lord. Secondly, by your church family here. I love you so much. Um, If there's anything that you need prayer for, I'm available. I know the ladies who were serving you in your group discussions are also available. And we would love to pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. God bless.